You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Questions are being raised tonight as to why a Pitt Meadows city councillor now convicted of sexual assault remained on council after being charged in the first place. As we first reported on last night's news hour, David Murray was found guilty of the sexual assault of a minor more than two decades ago. John Waugh has reaction, including controversial comments made by the city's mayor. I think we're on the wrong path. A trusted Pitt Meadow City Councillor, now a convicted sex offender. It makes me feel sick, is the best way to describe it. David Murray recently found guilty of sexually assaulting a minor back in 1992. But his position in public life seems to be protected. I don't think he should be involved in anything like that. Like I said, I think his ass should be out of there. There is no legal mechanism to force Murray out. Still, Tracy Miashta, one of two fellow councillors, publicly asking him to resign. It's very troubling to sit on council with him during this whole year, actually. And now that he has been convicted, I think that the right thing to do is to step down. What lacks in political procedure can be made up with public pressure. But Mayor John Becker says he needs more time to mull over his options. I am not... Uh, really able to comment on my opinion of judges' decisions. David Murray has one of my best friends for many years, and today he remains one of my best friends. Still, Miashta accuses the mayor of squashing any attempt to prepare for this possible outcome. I think that he's allowing his personal relationship with David Murray to cloud his judgment. The mayor says his friend's criminal charges had nothing to do with city business. Any more than somebody who was uh, going bankrupt or uh, somebody that was involved in, in a car accident or in a messy divorce. Pitt Meadows residents disturbed by the comparison. Sexual assault is a little more extreme than bankruptcy or divorce. Advocates for sexual assault victims say the mayor is sending the wrong message. I think not speaking up and not saying anything is exactly the same as saying it's okay. In the meantime, Pitt Meadows anxiously waits for its elected leaders to make a call on their disgraced council colleague. John Hua, Global News. A UBC student who attacked a young woman in her dorm room with a knife has been found not criminally responsible. The judge concluding Thamer Almastadi was likely suffering from a psychotic episode at the time of the attack. Jill Bennett was in court for today's decision. And Jill, what happens now? Well, Chris, Almastadi will be sent to the Colony Farm Psychiatric Hospital, where at some point he will go through a review before he is deemed eligible, if he is deemed eligible to be released. This after some very troubling details were revealed today in court. Court heard Thamer Almastadi started to hear voices. He thought his math teacher was sending him signals. And on October 4th, 2016, he listened to an audio recording of a story from the Quran, one that convinced him God wanted him to sacrifice a fellow student. The finding was that he, Mr. Almastadi, was suffering a psychotic break at the time. And as a result of the psychotic break, he was not aware that what he did was morally wrong. Although he had no history of mental illness, court heard in the two weeks before the attack, Almastadi's demeanor had changed and he was struggling with school. Victim Mary Hare testified earlier about how she'd opened her dorm room door. Then her throat was slashed by someone she'd only met briefly before. I'm still afraid to open a door. I'm still afraid of going outside and I'm still afraid of meeting people just because I have that like 
residual fear of like opening the door and seeing someone standing there waiting to kill me. I have the utmost respect for the incredible strength that she has shown. This is a woman that is working towards her own recovery uh, after a very horrifying incident took place. Hare wasn't in court to hear Almastadi declared not criminally responsible for attacking her, but from her home in Oregon, she says it's the right decision. And I, I guess before it was easy to like really hate him for what he did to me, but now I, I do believe him. He, I don't think he was really a bad person. I think that he was just going through a really hard time. Almostadi will now be transferred to the Colony Farm Psychiatric Hospital in Coquitlam. He will be detained until such time as the review board uh, determines that he's safe to be released. He won't be a danger to the public in the future. Society can be spared any risk. Now what's still unclear is Almostadi's immigration status here in Canada. He was an international student here from Saudi Arabia. We did ask Crown if today's finding will change that, if he could be sent home. Crown said uh, this isn't a conviction. However, any decision on that would have to be made by Canada Border Services Agency. Chris? All right, Jill Bennett, thank you. A man charged with six offenses against a woman in the North Okanagan appeared in court today. Outside the Vernon Courthouse protesting violence against women as Curtis Sagmoen appeared inside via video link. Sagmoen is alleged to have pulled a gun on a sex trade worker in August. He's also accused of possessing methamphetamine. Police have refused to say whether the 36-year-old is a suspect in connection with the discovery of human remains found at a farm near Salmon Arm. Sagmoen was living on that farm. RCMP also say it's too early to link the cases of five missing women to the investigation, but they are not ruling it out. Vancouver police are asking the public for information about a stolen vehicle. This is the vehicle in question. On August 29th, the VPD received 911 calls reporting the sound of gunshots in East Vancouver. No one was injured, but shortly after that, the vehicle was found abandoned just before Hastings Street on the highway. Exit. Police are asking anyone who remembers seeing this vehicle that night to give them or Crime Stoppers a call. Power has been restored to Queensboro after an electrical fire early yesterday morning shut down the span in both directions and left the community in the dark. The fire was discovered in a manhole under the bridge around 3.30 Wednesday morning. It took out a high-voltage cable and three circuits in the region, knocking out power to thousands. Thankfully, the bridge partially reopened in time for the afternoon rush, but New Westminster electric crews pulled an all-nighter to restore power, fixing two of the three feeders. But work on the third, likely next week, will require another planned outage. We will for sure. We're just not sure when and what will be involved. When we uh, re-energized uh, one of the cables this morning, we had another fault a little further up the line um, and we'll uh, probably investigate tomorrow. Still not clear what caused the fire. There are plans for Queensboro to eventually get its own substation by 2021. The housing minister announcing an amendment today to the Residential Tenancy Act that will effectively close a loophole that some landlords have been abusing. Our Keith Baldry has more details on this. It's about rent control. Keith? 
Yeah, uh, Sophie, basically about maintaining rent control. So that loophole you referred to has been increasingly used by a, a large number of landlords, certainly not all landlords. Uh, but the situation is this. Uh, re- annual rent increases are tied, are limited to 2% plus inflation. But some landlords have been requiring tenants to sign fixed-term leases, usually for a short-term basis, that have what are called vacating clauses or move-out clauses, requiring the tenant to move out after the lease expires. If they want to remain, have to sign a new lease with a much bigger rent increase in the neighborhood 10, 20, 30 percent. As I say, thousands of people affected by this. It's a pretty big move. Housing Minister Selena Robinson outlining the need for it today. And we caught up with a local uh, tenants right advocate who likes what she sees but wants to see more. With these changes, renters will no longer have to live in fear of what the next rent hike might look like. Today is another step that our government is taking to build a better, more affordable British Columbia. Generally, we are pleased with the announcement. We're very happy that action is being taken to close this loophole. What we would ultimately like to see is to have the rents tied to the unit rather than the tenant. So, Keith, are there any exceptions or other loopholes to this new rule? Well, there's a couple exceptions because the Landlords Association also had some input into this. They like what they see here, but uh, there are situations where a landlord might want to go traveling, for example, for, for a, a prescribed period of time and wants to move back into the unit. So there are some exceptions, but landlords retain the right to reclaim the unit if they want to do extensive renovations or if they want to move a member of the immediate family onto the property. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. His life's work went up in flames. More than three dozen collector vehicles burned beyond recognition in a fire, some so rare they're impossible to replace. Today, the collector who lost everything shows Global News the damage and talks about what he'll do next in just over a minute. Watching precious merchandise walk right out the door. The shocking diamond heist caught on security camera and what the jewel is worth later on the news hour. Also tonight, the incredible story of two women and their dogs rescued after five months lost at sea. But first, a heartbreaking look at the damage caused by a large fire in Langley that destroyed a garage containing dozens of classic cars. They were worth millions of dollars. And today, the owner showed our Ted Chernecki what remains and why this loss is so much more than financial. I can just start crying again. Today was Gary's first look at the carnage of what was, in essence, his life. Forty collector vehicles in a brand new warehouse he built two years ago specifically for this collection. And you really can't see the loss until you see what it was looking like less than 36 hours ago. This 59 Chevy here was called a utility sedan. It had no back seat. It was built for salesmen to haul all their merchandise in, and most of them came with six cylinders and three speeds. That car has a 348 tri-power four-speed, so it was really unique. The real value, he believes, is invisible. It's the story behind each vehicle or its uniqueness, not obvious to the general public. Of course, they're all insured under a system where the value of each vehicle is already agreed upon. And yes, he plans to rebuild, but there's a really big but. Money can't buy you some of these cars that were in here. I'll be able to, I could go buy 40 cars, but... Will I be able to walk around and give you stories of how unique they are and the history? No. This black Ferrari, for example, one of only 10 built in the world. It's still black and irreplaceable. Or this 1931 Model T, a favorite of his wife's. It, too, is black and beyond recognition. There's even one vehicle, a 1961 Bel Air convertible under all this rubble, that is the only known one still in existence. 
we buy this car and find out how famous it is because nobody knows the story of the Bel Air convertible. I have a... So oh, that that's the only one in the world? Only one in the world. See what looks like a wheel rim with a lot of ashes on top? Well, that is actually a trophy, won at the Van Dusen Gardens last year for a vintage Camaro. They built 240 of them. That car had 1,200 miles on it. Those three Camaros are kind of like the queen of the fleet. Ted Chernecki, Global News. The city of Vancouver outlining its latest lofty goal today, being 100% renewably powered by 2050. Over the next 10 years, the city says it'll improve active transportation, transit, and electric vehicle charging networks all throughout Vancouver. It'll also focus on ensuring homes and offices are built to require little energy to heat and cool them, all in an effort to be fossil fuel free. Our two major sources of uh, climate pollution in Vancouver are our transportation and our buildings. So in our goal to be 100% renewable, we have to tackle the emissions from buildings, make them more efficient, and switch them over onto renewable energy for their uh, heat. And we also need to clean up our transportation. There's a big incentive, according to a new report on the plan from the city and from BC Hydro. Residents stand to save up to $583 per year by 2030 and $994 per year by 2050 per household. The Timber Kings back in business. There was nothing here after the fire came through. How Canada's most famous builder of log homes is rising from the ashes. And a hitch in the release of all those JFK documents. Why it could be months before we know what they contain. If the TV show that follows the adventures of BC log home builders is one of your favorites, you're going to have to wait a while for new episodes. That's because right now the stars of the show are focused on survival. Nitu Garcha has another installment of our series on the long recovery from BC's wildfires. New log homes are going up to replace those that burned down. They were supposed to be done in late July, early August, and they'll be done the end of October, early November. Pioneer Log Homes, which you may recognize from the popular HGTV show Timber Kings, was badly burned. There was nothing here after the fire came through. Of Pioneer Log Homes' three construction sites, this is the only one that was in the path of the raging wildfire. Four completed homes were destroyed, and they almost had to close down this site for good. You're sad because all your work, like hundreds of hours are gone, right? Everything's gone. The longtime Williams Lake-based company is the biggest builder of handcrafted log homes in the world. Show production is on hold, and the focus is on recovery. It's just been slow, a slow start up. The record-breaking wildfire season burned more than 1.2 million hectares of land. And considering last year, the B.C. forest industry contributed almost $13 billion to provincial GDP and $8.5 billion in labour income, Premier John Horgan is stressing the need to quickly get salvageable timber out of the forest to rebuild. Just at a time when the annual allowable cut uh, from the chief forester has demonstrated that the beetle wood has now disappeared. It's a huge impact on those communities. So we're working as hard as we can. The province has been promoting tourism to help businesses bounce back. You can pray for us. You can send money to the Red Cross. Book a trip to Williams Lake next year. Come and see some of the things. Now five months behind on many of its projects, for Pioneer Log Homes, every day is long and busy. But the owner starts each one with this special piece of wood. Do you ever just stop and look at this and reflect? It's every day. 
It says Heroes 2017 and is signed by dozens of volunteer firefighters. Oyster River, Fanny Bay, North Cowichan, they came from all over the province and uh, really they put their life on the line. A symbol of the selfless fight against flames that could have taken much more. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Williams Lake. The Global BC CKNW Leadership Series continues tomorrow with the third in a series of in-depth interviews with influential BC leaders about what inspires and motivates them where they work. Yeah, it could be the sports field, the BC legislature, or in this case, crisscrossing the globe as leader of a huge corporation. This week I sit down with the president and COO of the Jim Pattison Group, former BC Premier Glenn Clark. If people lack trust in their leaders and they lack trust in, 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 the, in the way things are going, and without trust, it's a huge challenge. So the first and most important thing, I think, for all leaders is to establish a level of trust with those that they're leading. And I think uh, with trust, you know, you can do anything, you know, whether it's you working with unions, whether it's anywhere, you know, if people believe you, if they trust you, and then you can have a real dialogue and you can make a difference. You'll see much more of our conversation with Glenn Clark tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. and throughout the weekend on our 24-hour news channel, BC One. I haven't seen him for a while. That's right, yeah. The mustache is long <laughs> gone. Stepping up to solve a mystery of the heart. In my case, too, it was, it was, it was chasing a ghost. A baffling <laughs> cardiac condition and what's growing in an SFU lab that could one day help solve it. And with fears of a serial killer on the loose in Florida, investigators key in on a shadowy figure caught on camera. A frightening accident caught on video in Maryland as a car slams into a restaurant during the lunch hour. Another camera shows customers rushing in to help. Ten people were hurt, two of them seriously, but the owner says he's happy and I would bet a little shocked it wasn't worse. An explosion at a fireworks factory in Indonesia has killed at least 47 people. It happened in a manufacturing hub on the outskirts of the country's capital city. Witnesses report hearing two explosions as much as three hours apart. The factory had only been in operation for about two months. Critics of the Justin Trudeau government response to the opioid crisis are calling on the prime minister to follow the lead of Donald Trump. We can be the generation that ends the opioid epidemic. We can do it. The U.S. president today declaring the opioid crisis an official public health emergency in America and signing an order directing federal agencies to use all their resources to fight it. Seven Americans die from a drug overdose every hour. Trump's official declaration has critics in Canada demanding the prime minister do the same. The Trudeau government says it's already treating the overdose epidemic as a health crisis. Police in Tampa, Florida have released new video as they continue their hunt for the person who killed three people over 11 days, leaving the city on edge. The video is of a person of interest, and police are hoping one unique part of it will generate some leads. New video that could break open the case. Just moments after victim number one was shot dead on a quiet Tampa street 17 days ago, a home security camera recorded what could be the serial killer running away from the scene. I've come up with four reasons why this person is running. One, they may be late for dinner. 
Two, they're out exercising. Three, they heard gunshots. And number four, they just murdered Benjamin Mitchell. The chief highlighted a possible telltale signature move, the flip of a phone, hoping it may be the key to someone recognizing their person of interest. Initially, detectives released this video of the same person walking towards what would become the crime scene. This is the camera that shot the videos. The homeowner did not want her face to appear on camera. When you saw that footage, you thought that looked suspicious immediately? Immediately. Somebody was running for their life. With three murders all possibly linked to a serial killer, fearful residents are now adding more home security cameras. Karen Clay saw us come to her door with a new camera she installed just yesterday. That camera makes me feel a lot safer. The reward now stands at $35,000, police hoping that entices even more tips. It is the neighborhood and the city against whoever this is. And the more information we get, the closer we get to finding this guy. Historians and conspiracy theorists alike have begun pouring through the first of thousands of documents released just a couple of hours ago on the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Despite the fact today's release was mandated by law, not all of the documents will be made public. Bowing to pressure from the CIA and FBI, President Donald Trump is withholding hundreds of the documents, citing national security issues. But nearly 3,000 others are being made public. Among the first new information, the FBI had an agent with Lee Harvey Oswald after he was shot, hoping Oswald would confess before he died. But there was no confession. A daring and unusual jewelry store theft caught on video. A sales clerk in a store in Walnut Creek, California, shows a customer a nearly two-carat loose diamond worth about $35,000 Canadian by putting the diamond on his hand. Well, then the man suddenly bolts out the door and into a waiting getaway car with fake plates. He's still on the loose. They were sailing from Hawaii to Tahiti when they had engine problems and strayed off course. Yesterday, five months later, the two women and their dogs were rescued, nearly 1,500 kilometers southeast of Japan. NBC's Miguel Almaguer explains how they survived. The sailboat was spotted drifting in an ocean of blue, 900 miles southeast of Japan. This was the moment the U.S. Navy reached two mariners and their dogs lost at sea for five long months. Jennifer Appel greeted the sailors, who brought the architect and her friend, Natasha Fuiaba, a lifeline. I'm grateful for their service to our country, said Appel in a statement. They saved our lives. The voyage began May 3rd from Hawaii to Tahiti, 2,600 miles away. Then, on May 30th, they hit turbulent weather. The engine failed. Two months later, sending distress signals nobody would hear until this week. Drifting 5,000 miles off course, they survived with a water purifier and a year's supply of oatmeal, pasta, and rice. She was so enthusiastic, and she really sounded healthy and in good spirits. Tonight, headed to port aboard the USS Ashland, what should have been a month-long trip turned into 176 days. The journey of a lifetime while lost at sea. 
Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. And we have some breaking news out of Surrey for you now. Take a look at these shots from Global One. Police and emergency crews on scene at L.A. Matheson High School. That's at 94th and 122nd Street, where there are reports of a hit and run involving two students. Apparently it happened on the basketball courts. We've put in calls to RCMP, and we'll have more information as soon as it becomes huh. available. Right now, no update on the condition of the students. In Health Matters tonight, BC scientists are working on new research that could revolutionize the treatment of a common heart problem. As Linda Aylesworth reports, it would allow them to test experimental drugs without putting patients at risk. The human heart pumps over 100,000 times a day. Each beat, the result of millions of individual cells communicating with each other, creating a seamless rhythm. At least, that's the way it's supposed to be. In my case, I just felt really unwell. You're tired. You feel like you've been running a marathon, because in some cases, your heart is running a marathon. Alan has atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation is the most common heart rhythm problem. It's when the top chambers of the heart become very disorganized and chaotic. It's dangerous because blood can pool in the heart and create clots that travel to the brain and cause strokes. There are medications, but they can be both risky and ineffective. The solution? Dr. Laxman here in the lab is going to put my cells, create heart cells, put those heart cells into AFib, and then experiment with different medicines to take you out of AFib. Working out of Simon Fraser University and St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, Dr. Laxman has found a way to test medications without putting patients at risk by growing those heart cells created from simple blood cells in petri dishes. We were the first in the world to make a human model of atrial fibrillation using human heart tissue. And I really think this opens the door for other clinicians and scientists to start answering important questions about the disease. They also created a one-of-a-kind optical mapping rig built from scratch that not only tests the effectiveness and safety of different drugs on the cells, but will eventually help tailor treatments to patients. Our goal is to make uh, the treatment of atrial fibrillation targeted based on what we understand about individual patients and their DNA. One in four people over the age of 40 have atrial fibrillation, which means the discoveries made in this lab could change the lives of millions of people. Wow, so at some point are we going to see my, my sample in there? Absolutely. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. A global exclusive now and the first look at a new video for BC Children's Hospital with a very familiar host. This is an amazing place. A place of healing, a place of compassion, a place where everything can and must be possible. Singer Michael Bublé has wrapped up a visit to the hospital's new tech acute care center where he narrated a video tour of the new facility. Bublé is a longtime supporter of Children's and was the hospital foundation's ambassador to the $200 million campaign to build the new center. Of course, Bublé has his very own personal story when it comes to the health of children. He put his career on hold and largely withdrew from public life just last year, when his son Noah was diagnosed with cancer, Noah's cancer, we are happy to report, is now in remission, and he is on the mend. That is a spectacular new facility. It's going it to be is. great. Yeah, for sure. A young Wild fan gets a gift from one of the Canucks. <laughs> the kid's reaction went viral, but he never had a chance to say thanks until now. That's later. Also tonight, the statue of a baseball legend 
vandalized and new images of the guy who did it. He's a Minnesota Wild fan, but Jack Armstrong was still pretty excited when a Vancouver Canuck handed him a stick. What he did next, right after the forecast. He looks so shocked. He does. That's pretty cute. He does. All right, Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at our forecast, and it's been glorious out there, Christy. Oh, it sure has been. Uh, fall colors are out in uh, full force, that's for sure. And we're on fog watch, though, of course. Uh, before I get into things, participation is helping Canada celebrate 150 ways to stay fit. And today's fit tip or suggestion for you is chopping wood. I guess a lot of people can get out there in the sunshine and do just that. All right, let's check out the fog from earlier today. In my opinion, it was spectacular. For those of you under the fog, maybe a little cool, that's for sure. It was thick um, in areas and dissipated around 10 o'clock, but quite beautiful. And that's what we're going to be contending with for the next couple of mornings. Here's a look at the uh, area that had widespread fog this morning, but it did dissipate around 10 quite quickly. Here's a look at the fog forecast for overnight tonight. Not expecting too much. And as you saw on the tower cam, it's pretty clear. So tonight may be a night where we will see a few fog patches, but not much at all. So your Friday is looking pretty spectacular. However, this weekend, we're not expecting that. We're expecting a bit more moisture this weekend, and it may be tough to break out of that fog. I think we will, or I know we will, but the timing of that through our Saturday and Sunday mornings may be tough. It may be one of those mornings you want to go and head up to uh, Cypress Mountain and look down over the fog and check out the scenery. It's all because of this big upper-level ridge driving these systems to the north of us and keeping things uh, trapped in, that moisture trapped in across our region. And here's your forecast for tomorrow. So these regions, a fair amount of cloud, but really the moisture is up into areas like Dees Lake with the possibility of uh, flurries changing to showers. Areas like Prince George and across the south, some areas will see a bit of fog or lingering cloud in through the morning period, but otherwise sunshine, pleasant conditions, 13 degrees in Kamloops. That's above average by about two degrees. And for the south coast, again, patchy morning fog, but I'm not expecting a ton for us tomorrow. Lots of sunshine. Check out some of these numbers. 16 in Abbotsford, potentially 18 for Nanaimo. And again, that's the pattern that we're going to see for a number of days. The concern, though, is over the weekend where the fog would linger longer in through the morning. And of course, it doesn't warm up until you really break out of the fog. And so far, your Halloween not looking too bad. So uh, make sure you prepare for rain. I always say that, but just in case, right? But so, so far, things are looking pretty good. And tonight's weather window, a neat one from Sheila Donnelly. And this one highlights actually the colors that uh, we're seeing right now. It's really quite vivid, the oranges and the reds in particular. And it's because of the weather we've had when we've had um, sunshine it's been really really bright as opposed to some cloudy falls that we have and that's allowed for the uh, colors to really brighten along with the cooler nights that we're having so pretty nice out there it's beautiful thanks Thank you. christy yeah dropping fast though dropping mm -hmm. fast in my neighborhood vancouver canucks forward sam gagne is building the team's fan base one person at a time after the warm-up for Tuesday's game in Minnesota, Wild fan Jack Armstrong was asking players for their stick. He wasn't having much luck, though, until Gagne came by. And that clip, that reaction, lit up social media. Just awestruck there and in shock, I think. Later, though, he posted a thank you. Hey, Mr. Gagne. My name's Jack, and I was wearing the Parisi jersey last night. I'm not sure if you remember me, but... You gave me a really cool stick, and I was so surprised I did not have a chance to say thank you. So the purpose of this video is to say thank you. 
the response. Yeah, yeah, he sent he sent one uh, over Twitter yesterday, so I saw that, and you know, obviously, nice of him to say thank you, and um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy I could have made a day. So hopefully, uh, maybe get him Canuck jersey here and get him to switch teams. Well, I don't know about that, but we'll see. Send him, say you never know, free jersey. Sometimes they'll bring him over. He's got a fan for life now, that's yeah. for sure. Caught on surveillance video in Seattle, brazen daylight vandalism and theft by a man who may have had a few too many. Mm-hmm. The video shows the man pulling and twisting on the baseball bat on the statue of Seattle Mariners legend Ken Griffey Jr. He finally manages to break off a large piece of it and walks nonchalantly away. Police were called, found the bat sitting on a garbage can, and arrested the suspect. The police report says that the man admitted to being very drunk. <laughs> it was oh no, kind of obvious yeah. if you watch the whole video. I really don't get the idea of being drunk and needing to break things or ruin things. I don't, I don't think there's a lot of logic all. that goes along with it. Nope. No. Right. Especially, especially the bat. Yeah. Like, what do you need it for? Yeah, and then he didn't even take it. He just dropped no it somewhere. There's I think no he found out how heavy it was. You know, you saw him kind of struggling with the weight of it there for a while. All right, Squires here was a look ahead to sports. Yes. So one nothing is nice, but 5 nothing is great. And that's how the Caps won their first playoff game last night. It's a win, and I wouldn't have minded how we would have won the game today. I think it puts the icing on the cake. Was it ever? So now the Caps have to keep scoring goals like this Sunday when round two starts against Seattle. And later, Fright Nights at the PNE wouldn't be the same without Singe the Clown. Later, we'll meet the man behind that mask. It was an exceptional evening for watching sports last night. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> Well, the baseball game was great. Yes. Great finish. And the Whitecaps game was especially great. Yeah. Mm. And the Raptors did pretty well, too. I didn't even get to the Raptors no. game. I was too engrossed in those other two. And, and, you know, the baseball, eight home runs last night, most in a World Series game. Uh, most home runs in one regular season of all the teams this year. They say now the players aren't juiced, it's the baseballs. <laughs> all right. Baseballs are doing roids now. The uh, Whitecaps washed away all that bad taste in their mouths from missing a chance at finishing first in the West by running over San Jose 5-0 last night. That was round one of the MLS playoffs. They scored in the chances they couldn't score on when they had San Jose and BC place two weeks ago. That means the Caps move on to the second round. They'll take on Seattle. Two-game total goal series now, not just single knockout like last night. And game one will be at BC Place Sunday, 5.30. Game two in Seattle on Thursday. No time uh, decided upon yet for the uh, kickoff for that game. But let's go back to last night where the Caps won their first ever MLS playoff game in front of a rather boisterous and wonderful crowd. Kristen Teixeira's brilliant free kick was the goal Vancouver could not get the last time they played San Jose. This was the second goal. And as the Whitecaps have found out in their last two games, getting just one is usually not enough. I don't want to live at 1-0 after half-time. We need the second goal. And that was drummed into them. And obviously we get the second, and then it's like when you wait for a bus. You wait ages, and then two, three, four come along, go in the same place. That's what happened. We had the chance to do this last game against them. And we got our redemption, and we were able to come out and do it. And we did it. We, worked, we went right through our game plan, and it worked out perfectly, so we couldn't be happier. 
we saw what it meant to the players and the club today that you know we're so determined to get that first playoff win and we did and did we do it in style yeah we probably did which makes it all the more special but I'm sure you'll be saying to me now Sunday needs to be the same again uh, and every football game is different and Sunday's game will be very different now the Caps face defending champion Seattle a team they lost three nothing to on the road a month ago but the Caps did win and tie the Sounders in the two games at BC Place this season. Yeah, you know, Seattle's a really good team, and um, we know it's a, it's a big rivalry, so I think just we'd had a little bit of an off game, but, you know, we've played them, we've beaten them this season, we know we can beat them again, so that's kind of all we really need to look going forward. Well, the Vancouver Canucks are back home from that rather successful five-game road trip. Four wins out of five games, two of them shutouts. Anders Nilsson got both of those shutouts, and he will start in goal tonight. Uh, that game on Tuesday, the last one of the road trip, the one nothing win over Minnesota, was where Jake Vertanen got his second goal in two games playing alongside the Sedins. I know we talked about this last night, about how we liked Jake being alongside the Twins. It's almost as if he's getting an in-game coaching session playing with Henrik and Daniel. And that is how Travis Green looks at it as well. Uh, I think Twins have helped him uh, on the ice and probably off the ice while, you know, talking about the game in between shifts. And he's helped them with his speed. Uh, but, you know, I'm seeing some things in his game that I like. But, uh, you know, he's still learning. And... Uh, you know, it's been a good combination for us. Um, when I see a you know a play that I can jump in on, I'm not going to be you know hesitant. I'm going to go in there and you know try to create the play. And uh, yeah, I think so far we've been really good together. And uh, you know they've said that too to me, and they just want us to keep playing good. So yeah. Well, the Capitals being in town means the annual visit of the great eight, Alex Ovechkin, and he's still great despite being another year older and playing on a Capitals team that made some changes after another playoff meltdown last season. Washington has been rather average in its first nine games, nine points, nine games, but Ovechkin doesn't think that means they aren't what they used to be. So I don't think the style's changing in our team. Uh, I think we... We still have a core, uh, a couple guys who've been uh, a long time uh, in this organization, and uh, I'm pretty sure the new guys who came uh, right now understand what we want and how they uh, want to play us. All right, Oilers, Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid. Let's see what they got. Dallas is uh, in Edmonton tonight. McDavid is loose. Give him the puck. Here he goes. The thing about McDavid is he makes that move right at the last second separation of great players and good players and fair players panic level mcdavid has barely any and he looks so relaxed that's it no panic no panic gretzky had no panic lemieux had no panic those kind of guys never have panic great hands there you go thanks squire Let's check in with Andrew and now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. And Thanks, Sophie. And we are following up on that breaking news of a possible hit and run on the school grounds of L.A. Matheson Secondary in Surrey. Our Global One chopper capturing these images of police and emergency personnel who are on the scene this hour, apparently on the school basketball courts. We have reached out to Surrey RCMP and a crew is on the way. We'll have more on this developing story when you join us tonight at 11 o'clock. All right. Thanks very much, Ann. Well, the man who brings Singe the Zombie Clown to life is still to come. And if you're looking for more to do before Halloween... Kasia Badurka is here with five things to do with your family this weekend. Kasia?
Thanks. And yes, it's your last weekend to pick your own pumpkin. Let's start with the Family Pumpkin Festival at Davison Orchards in Vernon. Take a ride on the orchard train, find the perfect pumpkin, visit the pumpkin medieval land, and enjoy all the fall treats. Now for some indoor fun. The Vancouver Fall Home Show is on at the Vancouver Convention Center. The show features more than 300 exhibits, celebrity guests, demos, workshops, and contests. It starts this evening and goes on all weekend. Now back to Halloween. This Saturday, kids can give the circus a try. The Vancouver Circus School is hosting Carved, which includes aerial silk and trampoline lessons. There's also juggling, a bouncy castle, trick-or-treating, and more. It's all happening at the Pipe Shop in North Vancouver. Now for those who'd rather sit back, there's the Halloween Pumpkin Express train at Bear Creek Park in Surrey. It'll take you on a spooky ride through the Halloween scenes and characters, and it's child-friendly, so there's nothing too gruesome. But make sure you go before 4.30 p.m., because later, it's a scarier ride for the big kids. Wicked Victoria is taking over our capital city's downtown on Sunday. It's the annual Halloween street festival, and you're encouraged to go in costume and check out all the family fun activities on every block. It's free and goes on from noon till 5 p.m. on Government Street. For more info on these events, go to globalnews.ca slash five things. Coming up on ET Canada, Corey Feldman's mission to take down an alleged Hollywood pedophile ring. Plus saying goodbye to the gambler. We're at the farewell concert for Kenny Rogers, and you won't believe what Fall Out Boy told us about their new album. All of that is coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Cheryl. We should say right off the bat here, a warning. Mm-hmm. For scaredy cats. For scaredy cats. <laughs> Some people are freaked out by clowns. Yeah. It's understandable. And other ghoulish things. And they're going to be on this story. So if you like that kind of stuff, you're going to love it. If you don't like that kind of stuff, you're probably not going to love it. But we're going to show it to you anyways. Let's find out about Singe the Clown. (laughs) Among the creeps, ghouls, and ghastly characters that populate Fright Nights at Playland, there is an alpha clown. Don't you just love the sound of screams? Singe the Clown is the ringmaster of this psycho circus. All these clowns, it's amazing! But who is Singe really? Singe is a crazy, that's the way I would explain him, crazy, psychotic, annoying clown. For seven years, Singe has been the alter ego of actor Matthew Ip Shaw. What happens when you start putting on the costume? I I don't really know. It's kind of like going into some kind of trans. Like a groundhog. Ah, baby. Ah, I feel good. I agree completely. You can do anything you want, and people will forgive you. You're a clown. (laughs) Well, that's almost true. Sometimes a good scare can cause a bad reaction. And being a scary clown can be a bit of a frightening job. Some guy threatened me with a knife. <laughs> that was the only time. Only time. Top of the morning. After seven years on the job, Singe knows how to read a crowd. Yeah, you can usually tell um, depending on how they're walking or you know how they're reacting to other things happening around them. You kind of judge based off of that and what to do. 
you either scare them, uh, creep them out, or you know, entertain them if they're not if they got nerves of steel. Oh yeah, break it down, break it down with the clown. Ah, 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 ah. See, he's less scary. A clown that, that dances like that, you can't be scared. What a great sense of humor.